Today's message revolves around this, this idea, this, this struggle that most of us have with fear, how we process fear. And the last message in this series will be how we process the future. All righty. So that is a review of our, uh, where we are. I brought you up to speed. Here's the good news, though, uh, City Church. Uh, all the messages are available on our mobile app, okay? So you can download our mobile app in your Play Store, your App Store, City Church Texas, all one word, City Church TX. Uh, open it, install it, open it, and enjoy all the messages. You will be brought to speed. All righty. Here's the good news this morning concerning fear. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 reminds us of this truth, that God has not given us a spirit of fear. But he has given unto us a spirit of power. Come on, somebody. Come on, get that handkerchief ready, Tony. Listen to this. Listen to this. Listen to this. Listen to this. God has not given us a spirit of fear. We were not born with fear. It's something that we learned here. We were born with the capacity to believe. For the Bible declares in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, to each one has been given the measure of faith. That means when God created you, when you were born, on the inside of you, on the inside of me, we were each given the measure. In English, that's called a definite article. The measure. It speaks of a very specific measure, not a measure, but the measure. You and I were born with the ability and the capacity to believe. But fear is something that we learn over time. And I'm going to beat this like a dead horse. You've heard me say it before, but here we go. Here is the progression of how we learn. We said, number one, it's what? Our environments. Our environments determine what? What we're exposed to. What we're exposed to determines our experiences and our experiences determine our expectations out of life, of ourselves, of God, of others, good or bad. And somewhere, somewhere, somewhere over the course of life, we learn to embrace fear. In fact, Zig Ziglar said it this way, every child is born to win. But along the way, many are conditioned to lose. And most of us are stuck in that place of conditioning. But this morning, God wants us to break free from those limiting beliefs that have held us back. God has not given you a spirit of fear. So if you and I are entertaining fear in any area of our lives, Consider that thought, that I'm entertaining something that did not originate in God or with God. And maybe today is the day you return to sender. Don't entertain it. Don't normalize it. Don't tolerate it. Because it's not of God and it's not from God. Let me, let, me, let me say this. What you tolerate, you cannot change. So don't, don't complain now about what you've allowed. If it exists, it's because you've given it permission to exist in your life. 
And as long as you allow it to exist, as long as you tolerate that thing in your life that is not from God or, or of God, you cannot overcome it. Hmm? You and I can only conquer what we confront. And you can only confront what you identify. I want you to hear that now. You and I can only conquer what we are willing to confront. And you can only confront what you identify. And so this morning, maybe by the, 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 the help of the Spirit of God, and as we look to God's Word, maybe He will help us identify the fears that have held us back. The fears that have become the limits and the restraints and the guardrails that have kept us from accomplishing everything that God has created us to do. I will say this again. God has not given you a spirit of fear. Didn't come from him. It is not of God. So what's got you scared? What's been taunting you in the silence? When you're alone, all by yourself. What thoughts have we entertained? What conditioning have we surrendered our lives to? Because this is what fear is. Fear is defined as a distressing emotion. Listen to this now. Fear is defined as a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, pain, etc. Listen to this. Whether the threat is real or imagined. And I would venture to say that most of us live in prisons that derive from fears that aren't even real. Aren't even real. And that's where our reasoning comes in. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. This is what the wisest man who ever lived wrote. He said, trust in who? The Lord. With what? All of your heart. And do what? Lean not to your own understanding, your own reasoning, your own filters, your own processors. But in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Let me, let me say this about your reasoning and my reasoning. It's a gift from God. But it shouldn't be the final authority in your life. Your ability to comprehend and reason and answer every question. He gives it to us for a purpose. But it's not the final authority. The final authority in our lives is what God said. And if God said it, I believe it. That settles it. And most times when God speaks... There is usually an illogical instruction. And that's where we struggle because it doesn't reconcile with our reasoning. And most of what limits us, City Church, is what we imagine to be true, what we perceive to be true, that is not true. Mm. There's, a wonderful, uh, <laughs> there's a wonderful art piece in this art museum in Basel, Switzerland. It's really an optical illusion, but it's all determined by what you think you see 
and also determined by where you stand. It's a nine-second video. Let's run it twice. Check this out. Kill the lights. Let's go back and run it one more time. Starts out, no, but as you move closer and change your line of sight, it says yes. Somebody said that's freaky. (laughs) Most of us go through life looking at the same thing and getting different responses based on our perception and how we view things. Can I tell you something? Where you sit determines what you see. What you see determines what you desire. What you desire determines what you pursue. And what you pursue determines what you will have in life, good or bad. I'll say that again. Where you sit in a seat of reasoning, in a seat of doubt, and if all you ever see in life is no, 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 and never see the yeses from God. The Bible says that every promise of God is yes and amen. Every promise of God. And most of us go through life. And because of where we sit, we never change our trajectory. We never change our line of sight. So everything that life gives us looks like a no. But inside every no, there is a yes from God. The Chinese have a character for the word crisis. And it's made up of two Mandarin words that come together to make up this word crisis. Those two words are hidden opportunity. And in the Chinese mind, every crisis is a hidden opportunity. And most of us go through life fearing the crises of life because we never perceive the hidden opportunity in every no. Is it possible that the thing that has paralyzed you is only imagined and not real? Is it possible that every no that you have heard in your life, that if you just waited long enough and maybe changed where you sat, maybe changed the way you saw things, maybe changed the way you processed life, maybe there was a yes just beyond the obstacle. Maybe there was an opportunity on the other side of that crisis. And most of us stopped short. So one of the gifts my beautiful wife got me for Christmas is Jump by Steve Harvey. And uh, so I was reading through it, and uh, I'm going somewhere. We're going to get to the text here in a little bit, but this will help you. He says a couple of things in here, and and I want to encourage you uh, concerning the fears that have held you back. This is page 19. He says, when life knocks you down, don't see it. As failing. Remember, it's not about what happened to you. It's about what's happening in you. I'll say that again. It's not about what happened to you as horrific and as painful as it may have been. The big thing 
is what's happening in you right now. Most of us never learn to fail forward because we allow what happened to us to keep us stuck in the same place. And we focus more, Tony, on what happened to us then instead of what's happening in me now. And Steve Harvey says it's all about how you frame what happened. Don't see it as failing. Don't see it as failure. This is the processor issue now. For you computer geeks, you guys know. Bad processor, bad computer. No matter what you put on it, no matter what it looks like, if the processor is bad, And most of us adorn the outside. Process is still bad, though. No matter how many houses you buy, no matter how many cars you buy, no matter who you start to date, no matter who you fall in love with, if the processor is bad, the life is bad. Any computer people in here? Would that be accurate? Bad processor. Bad computer. Listen to what he said. When life knocks you down, don't see it as failing. See it as added experience that you now have under your belt. You just got smarter. The more experiences you have, I love this. You got, I'm going to adopt this, my everyday language. He says, the more experiences you have, the more life currency you earn. How much life currency are you working with? Hmm? How much of this you got? I'm talking about what's in your, your money clip or what's in your wallet, Capital One. How much life currency do you have? Do you have enough currency to engage life when life gets hard? Do you have enough currency to draw on when the door is closed? Mm, let me continue now. You have more life currency, uh, which you can use to go out and tackle bigger opportunities with bigger risks for a more rewarding outcome. Don't see it as failure. Got to say to yourself, I just earned more life currency. He goes on to tell the story. Several years ago, there were a lot of rumors going around about me and my personal life and my business. And the majority of them were flat out not true. The rumors that were being spread were very damaging to the point where I had to explain to my sponsors and the like. It had gotten really ugly for me, both personally and professionally, as well as for my family. Quite naturally, for most of us, our instinct is to respond. Isn't that what instinct tells you? Somebody lying on me? Ain't telling the truth? I'm going to set this thing straight. Our instinct is to respond. Our filter, our reasoning says... Get them back. Said quite naturally, for most of us, our instinct is to respond. Because I had a platform, which was my nationally syndicated radio show, I felt like I could have opened up my mic and started blasting (laughs) back. If I had a nationally syndicated television show and people were saying things about me that weren't true, my instinct, too, would be to blast back and set the record straight. I'm going somewhere with this. I felt like I could have opened up my mic and started blasting back. It was then that my friend Anderson Cooper from CNN called. Steve, come on my show. I'll help you straighten this thing out. He had always been very friendly toward me, and he's a great guy. 
So Steve says, okay, cool. My appearance on the show was going to be on a Monday night. The Saturday before, I got a call from none other than Tyler Perry. He wanted to know how I was doing giving, given all the rumors. Hey, buddy, you hanging in there? Nah, man. I'm dying over here. I'm really hurting. Anybody ever been there? But it's going to be all right because I'm going on to the Anderson Cooper show and I'm going to straighten this all out. He's giving me a shot to tell my side of it and deflect some of the lies. <laughs> you ain't going on no Anderson Cooper show, said Tyler Perry. I got quiet for a minute before I spoke. Tyler, did you hear what I said? This is Anderson Cooper, man. <laughs> I added the man. For, for <laughs> that, that wasn't in there. It, I added that for, for emphasis, man. It just read better. <clears throat> Tyler, Tyler went on to explain. Y'all check this out now. When they are talking about you, these rumors, it's a blog. But when you respond, it's a press conference. Don't give the rumors more attention than they deserve. There are just some things that people are going to say about you that you just got to leave alone. And as long as you leave it alone, it will die a death of natural causes. If you give it attention, it becomes a press conference. Uh, so sit still, and in two weeks, it will all go away. Listen to this. The bottom feeders will find something else. Excuse this, but he says, because they like fresh doo-doo. <laughs> Steve Harvey said, all right, man. Listen to this. He says, a series of failures, losing a bit of confidence each time, will leave you so unsure of yourself that you won't even try to get back in the game. You've got to determine that your experiences are lessons, not failures, not mistakes, lessons. 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 But let me read this again, because I think this is where most of us get trapped. A series of failures, one mistake after the next, one bad decision after the next, one disappointment after the next will erode your confidence. Something must be wrong with me, man. I can't get nothing right. And that erosion of confidence leads to a life of fear. I ain't going to try this no more. I'm going to stay in this place of safety. And I'm going to control as much of my life as I can. And that we never step out in that place called radical faith because I failed enough times that my confidence is eroded. He says, a series of failures, losing a bit of confidence each time will leave you so unsure of yourself that you won't even try to get back in the game. What are we talking about this morning? Fear. Remember after Peter let down only one net when Jesus told him, let down your nets, plural, and he let down only one net. What did we say last week? That often we can mask our fears by saying the right things. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm all right. 
How's the project going? Oh, it's great. And we get into this cycle where we say all the right things, but on the inside, we're overtaken with fear. And he says to Jesus, depart from me because I'm a sinful man. And Jesus' response was, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid because from now on, you will become a fisher of men. I want you to catch this, City Church. The fear that you are willing to confront today is the gateway into the future you've imagined. Thank you, sir. Y'all miss that. There's something standing between you and the future that you've imagined. And the gateway to the future that you desire is that you have to get through the thing that's been taunting you. Y'all miss that. <clears throat> there is no way around it. You have to go through the thing that's been saying it's impossible. Let me, let me try this side. The future that you've imagined is on the other side of the fear that you are willing to confront. The fear that you've imagined will elude you. Let me say it another way. Will elude you until you come face to face with the giant that's been taunting you. God has given you only one way into the future you desire. You have to come square up face to face with the thing that frightens you the most. Okay. Y'all not so sure about it. So let's, let's look in the Bible. I wish I had time to really unpack this story because it is a tale of two kings. It is a tale of two kings. One named Saul and the other named David. When you begin to read 1 Samuel chapter 9 through verses 13, we're introduced to this man named Saul. Saul was never God's choice. But Saul represented what the people wanted. And because the people insisted that they would have a king for themselves like everybody else, God said, give them what they want. And when you read the text, this is what God said. He speaks to Samuel the prophet, who's responsible for anointing the, the king, anointing Samuel. And he says, anoint Saul because I have made him a commander over my people. Notice, there's nowhere anywhere when you read the text. There's nowhere in the text anywhere where God says, Saul is my choice to be king. He says, Saul is my commander, and he will deliver my people from the Philistines. I want you to catch that now. This is God speaking concerning Saul. Saul, you are to be a commander over Israel. The word there uh, it, uh, translated in the Hebrew is that of a military leader, uh, commander, or a prince. It is used interchangeably, but it is of someone who is a military leader. Now, let's fast forward to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Here we go. Whew, help me, Lord. How are we going to do this? I'm thinking about how we're going to do this, y'all. We'll get through it. 
First chap- Samuel chapter 17. Uh, <sighs> how are we going to do this? First uh, Samuel chapter 17. Help me, Lord. We're going somewhere with this. The gateway to the future you've imagined is through the thing you fear most. So 1 Samuel chapter 17. <laughs> what, what is Samuel's destiny? What is Samuel's purpose? His destiny and his purpose is to deliver Israel from their enemies, specifically the Philistines. Isn't that what God said? Yeah. This is your portion. This is your future. You will be a defender and a deliverer of my people. The people want a king, but I will make you a commander. So 1 Samuel chapter 17, the story picks up in verse 1. <laughs> and we're going to go back, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and then we'll get to where I want to go. Y'all with me? Yes, sir. Here we go. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 1. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle, and they were gathered at Sokol, uh, which belongs to Judah. And they encamped between Sokol and Azekah in Ephes Damim. In fact, they were in the valley of Elah. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines who were ready to go to war. Then the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with the valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Some Bible commentators say anywhere from nine to 13 feet, depending uh, on who you read, nine to 13 feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze, he had on bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. This guy was huge. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and a shield bearer went with him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and you will serve us. Can I stop there for a second? I just want you to consider this. What is at stake If I don't step up, listen to this now. There is an entire nation hanging in the balance. Goliath said, look, don't even worry about bringing your whole army into this thing. It's just going to be one on one and we'll settle it. You find among yourselves a champion. And if he beats me, we will become your servants forever. But if I beat him you will become our servants forever. I want you to stop and think for a second. What's at stake if I don't confront Goliath? What's at stake in my life if this Goliath that is taunting me does not fall? What will the rest of my life look like if I cower in fear 
in front of this Goliath that is taunting me. And I know that right now you're thinking about the Goliath in your life. You're standing in front of a nine-foot giant, and you're trying to figure out how this thing is going to fall. The story gets better, though. It says, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. Notice, this is Saul and the entire nation of Israel. This is the one that God has said, you are my commander and you will lead my people in battle against the Philistines. What is on the other side of his fear and his dismay? The entire nation is hanging in the balance. God said to Saul, you will protect my people. And he's cowering in fear. Because the future you desire is on the other side of the fear you're willing to confront. And everything connected to your decision will either become a victor or a victim because of your singular decision. Let me tell you something about Saul's, Saul's challenges. Saul battled his whole life with insecurity. Can, can we read about Saul? Because we always hear about David. And I could tell this story about David because we all know how the story ends. But let me talk a little bit about Saul. Because I think most of us might identify with Saul. We're that guy with the glorious future and the glorious promise too scared to step up and face our giants, and face our giants. Let me tell you something about insecurity. Uh, anyway, before I go, let me read this. I'm going somewhere with this. First Samuel chapter 9. First Samuel chapter 9. Y'all ready? Uh, this is so good. First Samuel chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. It says, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And notice the description that we, we give to Saul. I find it interesting that God saw fit in this text as he's introducing Saul that he tells us about his father first. And that his father was a mighty man of power. Can I tell you a little something about being a student of life? Sometimes life eats us up. Because sometimes the people who preceded us have really big shoes. That we might never be able to fill. Anybody know Michael Jordan? Anybody know about his son's basketball career? 6'8 son, played college ball at a tiny school. Never filled his daddy's footsteps. Never filled his daddy's shoes. Anybody know Wayne Gretzky? Anybody know any of his children and what they've done? Let me tell you something. There are times in our lives when the greatness in the people who have preceded us can eat away at our confidence. There are some Bible scholars who talk about the relationship between Kish and Saul and how Saul never felt he would ever be good enough to be like his dad. Even though he had all 
the tools. Listen to, listen, to, listen to Saul. Listen to Saul. Listen to what the Bible says about Saul. It says, and he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. And now, uh, taller than any other people. It talks about how big he was and how handsome he was. It sounds like a description of Pastor Ray. And, uh, and uh, 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 come, come back to, to, to uh, Ed. Had the good looks, but on the inside, battled with insecurity. Have you ever been around insecure people? In fact, you don't have to do anything other than show up to expose the insecurities in insecure people. Just show up and all of a sudden the insecurity starts to manifest. Do you know that Saul lost the kingdom over a song? Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his ten thousands. And Saul lost his mind. Insecurity and fear. He was the best looking one in the nation. He was the tallest one in the nation. On the outside, externally, he looked like the perfect champion. But on the inside, never saw himself as good enough, as smart enough, as strong enough. And even though God says, you're my commander and you're going to lead my people against the Philistines, He didn't see himself as the guy to do it. Remember what the the, the, the sermon bumper said? Your playing small does not benefit anybody. Can I tell you something about insecurity? Insecurity is one of the highest forms of selfishness. Because the only thing you're thinking about is yourself. What will these people say about me? What will these people think about me? The world does not revolve around you. Can I say something else? Your insecurity and my insecurity is one of the highest forms of pride. Ain't humility. There is absolutely nothing humble about insecurity. Because once again... You put yourself at the center of every conversation. The only thing you're thinking about is you. That's coming here in a second. That's coming here in a second. That's coming here in a second. Our insecurity. And while the entire nation is waiting for Saul to step up, He's cowering in fear. Can I tell you about one of the most unfortunate things about Saul's life, even though he had tremendous potential, and he ends up, he ends up senile and crazy and mad when he had so much potential? Could never get past his insecurity. And let me tell you what insecure people do, sometimes like Saul. In fact, let me say it this way. Whoever you allow to crown you, you will owe your allegiance to. Saul's entire life, he lived to please people. 
so insecure that he tried to please him, please people so that they would like him. And he didn't like himself. Remember, uh, Saul said, wait seven days. I mean, Samuel said, wait seven days and sacrifice. And when the people started to complain and said, it's taking too long. Guess what he did? He went out and sacrificed. And as soon as he did the sacrifice, here comes Samuel, the prophet. And Samuel said, man, didn't I tell you to wait? This is what Saul said. The people complained. They got tired of waiting. You know why? Whoever you allow to crown you, you will owe your allegiance to. Quit playing to the crowd. Get over your insecurity. Uh, there's two kings. The other king is, is David. He was God's anointed. That's where we want to live, y'all. There's the people's choice, and then there's God's anointed. Can I tell you the second thing about the two kings? It's simply this. God cannot bless or anoint who you pretend to be. Thank you for the polite golf clap. Because that one went in deep, didn't it, Andrea? Somebody said it hurt. That was Pindai. It went in deep. God can't bless who you pretend to be. I wish I had time to take this thing line by line and verse by verse. But when David shows up at the battlefield, when David shows up at the battlefield, notice Goliath has been taunting the nation 40 days. One just a one-day affair. 40 days. And Saul, the tallest, most handsome guy in the kingdom, is hiding in his tent. And the nation is hanging in balance now. This little 16-year-old kid, man, shows up. In fact, the day Samuel comes to anoint the next king, Jesse invites seven of his sons. David doesn't even get an invite. Because in Jesse's eyes, surely God can't use that one. He's just a red-headed, ruddy shepherd boy. God can't use him. And then Samuel says, nobody gonna sit down until David shows up. God is bringing some of us, man. I don't know who it is, but he's bringing you into the future. He's bringing you into your next level. Let me, let me tell you, let me tell you why. So, so, so Jacob, so, so he anoints David king. And the scripture says, David had three older brothers who were on the battlefront. They too couldn't step up to Samuel, I mean to, 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 to Goliath. So, so, so David now, even though he's been anointed king, check this out, 1 Samuel 16. In 1 Samuel 17, we find David, and guess what he's doing? He's bringing cheese and bread to his brothers. For most of us, we were like, forget you, daddy. I've just been anointed king. Don't you know who I am? I'm the next king of Israel. Cheese and bread to my brothers. They should have packed a Lunchable. <laughs> I'm the next king of Israel. Talking about putting signs out in the street for city church. Don't you know who I am serving children's church? He's already been anointed king. He's already been anointed king. Let me tell you something. Who you are is not defined by what you do. Most of us come to church. That's beneath me. I'm above that. And most of us don't realize that the very reason David was even on the battlefield was because he was willing to take his brother's cheese and bread. 
His defining moment happened because he was willing to serve his brothers who despised him. And how many of us missed what God wants to do in our lives? Because I've been anointed king. Give me no cheese and bread for my brothers. The very reason he was even at the battle was because he had positioned his heart to serve. God can't anoint who you pretend to be. And your insecurities are exposed by what you are unwilling to do. Y'all miss that. The fact that you're unwilling to go to children's church and change a diaper has exposed your insecurity because you think you are defined by changing a dirty diaper. When God says, I see a king and I see a queen in you. You know why Jesus was willing to become a carpenter? You know why Jesus was willing to wash his disciples' feet? Because Jesus knew he wasn't defined by washing their feet. And most of us miss what God wants to do in our lives because we're too proud to take cheese and bread to somebody else. And God said, if you had only been willing to take cheese and bread to the battlefield, you would have come face to face with your Goliath and it would have propelled you forward into your destiny. Because without Goliath, without Goliath, David is only a shepherd boy. And without your giant, all you will be is a shepherd boy. Because the fear that I'm willing to confront today is the gateway into the future God has created for me. And God can't bless who you pretend to be. Faking the funk like you high post? Who you think you are? People see right through that. You have no idea that people can see right through your fakeness. And the problem is God can't even bless that. So I'm about to wrap this up. I'm about to wrap this up. This is what Samuel did. Because he tried to do for David what everybody else had done to him. In fact, when, they, when, when, when the people chose a king, this guy who was taller than everybody else and more handsome than everybody else was hiding in the dumpster. Did y'all miss that part of the story? Insecure, good looking, handsome, taller than everybody else, and he's hiding in the dumpster. God cannot bless who you pretend to be. It wasn't in him, man. It wasn't in him. And he allowed people to push him in this place. And every time God made a reference to Saul, he said, give them the king they want. It wasn't because God picked him. Even when God says, make him a commander, it wasn't because God picked him. The people insisted and God said, give them what they want. And here's Saul in a place filling shoes that are too big for him. Instead of being what God created him to be. So David shows up and Saul tried to do what everybody else had tried to do. This is what he did. Can you imagine this 16-year-old boy taking cheese and bread? And then Saul, the tallest, the most handsome, says, uh, uh, take my armor and you put it on. Because you'll be safer wearing my armor. Listen to what David said. He said, I can't wear this because it hasn't been tested. Because a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that can't be trusted. 
You let other people put stuff on you that you wouldn't even test it. You wouldn't even try. And this is what David said. He said, I'm going to come against this guy with what I know. It ain't gold. It ain't armor. It ain't bronze. It's just five smooth stones and a sling. That's all I need. All I need is what I've, what I've tested. And I'm going to close with this. I'm going to close with this. Notice, and somebody grab my, my uh, is Titch here? Is Titch here? He's not? He's not? He was supposed to be here. Too late. Somebody grab Brooks and Levi for me real quick. And so David shows up and said, this is what I know. I've shared this with you before, and I promise you, this is my third and final close. <laughs> this, is, this is what David said. This is what David said. He said, the same God that delivered me from the lion and the bear is the same God that will deliver me from this, I don't want to say that word, from this Philistine, but it's in the Bible. Same God. Can I, can I say what David was saying? In life, and I learned this from a friend of mine who's a, 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 an agent with the security, a treasury department. He said, they teach us in our training, because he travels with dignitaries and he's like secret service, even though he's with treasury department. And they teach them in their training that no one rises to the occasion. You default to the last level of your training. What was David doing? He was defaulting to the last level of his training. What do you have to work with when your Goliath confronts you? Do you have anything in your walk with God that you can go back to? That you can stand on and say the same God that did it then is the same God that's going to do it now. Because Goliath must fall. And he had to confront his fears. So here's David. Come on, David. This is my mini-me. His name is Levi Legend, a.k.a. Levi Buckets, because Levi be hooping now. So David, Dave, this is David. You're David. Daddy, I ate a cricket. You ate a cricket? Really? <laughs> right, John the Baptist, wild locusts and honey. Y'all passing out crickets in children's church? That's awesome. It's fantastic. And I, tried, and I tried the B word of it. I ate it. You ate the bottom? Yes. Of the cricket? Ew. <laughs> All right. Are you good? Okay. <laughs> so I promise, this is, this is where we're wrapping up. So this is David, and he comes to the battlefield. Are y'all with me? And then uh, Titch was supposed to be my Goliath. But he wasn't here. So I'm going to steal you, Harry. Henry? Harry. Henry. No, 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 no. Yeah, Brooks is right here. Y'all pump the brakes. I got this. This is my show, man. Why y'all messing up my show, man? Harry, come, come for a second. Be, be Goliath for me. I was trying to look for somebody really tall and uh, buff. Diesel. All right. Huh? You're buff, but you, you ain't. Yeah, but. <laughs> Yeah. Just stand right there. 
right. All right. All right. So, so, so let me move this out the way real quick. Man, this thing heavy, y'all. <laughs> Pastor Ray Diesel, though. This is the Valley of Elah. I'm talking about your reasoning now. As you look down here at David, a 16, 17-year-old shepherd boy, and Goliath, the champion of the Philistines. This is just human reasoning. Is there any conceivable way that Levi, is it Harry or Henry? I want to call you Henry. Harry. Is there any way that Levi can beat Harry? This ain't a trick question. This is not a trick question. You're like, uh, two plus two equals four? I'm like, can Levi beat Harry? Physically. Like if they're going to go toe-to-toe and grapple and MMA and fight and wrestle. Can Levi make Harry, Henry, Harry, Harry, can, can Levi make Harry tap out? Is that possible? Even if I took my armor and put it on Levi, is that possible? In fact, my armor is too heavy for Levi. Yet Levi says, where is this Philistine? I'm going to take him. You know why? Because Levi is not about to do this in his own strength. He's got the strength of the Lord. Come on, Brooks, with your beard. Come on, somebody. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is. Come on, somebody. Now, 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 this is getting interesting. It's about to get hectic. Take the story out, though. Take the Bible story out. Uh, this is Brooks versus Harry. Who y'all think got it? Who y'all think got it? Brooks versus Harry. Okay, okay. No shame. But think about it. Think about it. David says, I can't do this in my own strength. But the same God that gave me the strength to take Goliath, I mean to take down the lion and the bear, is the same God that's going to bring me against this uncircumcised Philistine. Y'all see that? Y'all see that? What's the whole point? What's the whole point? My reasoning is, there it is, even better. Even better. When I am confronted with my Goliaths, I don't come in my own strength. My reasoning tells me there's no way that I can win this battle in my own strength, in my own ability. But I've got God on my side. Listen to what he said. He called this guy an uncircumcised Philistine. I'm not trying to be vulgar. What David was saying is that this Philistine is not a man of covenant. Because the circumcision was given to the Israelites. The cutting of flesh and the shedding of blood meant that they had entered into covenant with God. And whatever God had was theirs. And whatever they had was God's. And David says, because I'm a child of the covenant, God's got my back and Goliath must fall. What does that mean? (laughs) 
when I realize, when I realize that God is with me, no matter how big and daunting the challenge is, I realize that I've got this because God's got me. Now, this is what David said. What will be done for the man who kills Goliath? That's a good question to ask. Because on the other side of the fear you confront is the future you've imagined. David said, I've been a shepherd boy. If I do this, what's in it for me? David inherited what God had promised Saul. Listen to what I'm saying. The future that God promised Saul as the commander of Israel against the Philistines is now being passed to David because Saul was unwilling to confront his fears. For 40 days, Saul had a chance when Goliath was taunting the nation of Israel and he did nothing. Let me tell you something about the opportunities that we often squander. There's a David waiting in the wings. There's a David waiting in the wings for the fear you're unwilling to confront. This is helping somebody. This is helping somebody. So he said, what's going to be done? He said, number one, you're not going to pay taxes. I thought you were going to be more excited about it. <laughs> hey, man, I don't know. He said, you'll never pay taxes again. Number two, you're going to marry Saul's daughter. What else was there? I think that was like three things. And David, this is what the scripture says. David ran toward Goliath. And the reason Bible commentators said he had five stones is because Goliath had four brothers who were all known as the giants of Gath. And David said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to handle my business. I ain't only going to take care of Goliath. I got something for all four of his brothers. And the scripture says that he cut off Goliath's head and presented it as a trophy to the nation of Israel. The devil that's been taunting you is going to become a trophy of God's grace in your life. If you'll simply confront the fear that's been taunting you. I want you to hear this now. The future you've imagined, the future that God has imagined for you, is on the other side of the fear that you're willing to confront today. Gideon had to confront his fear and insecurity in order to become a deliverer of the nation of Israel. He said, I'm the least in my tribe, and my tribe is the least in all of Israel. But God said, go in this, your valor. He had to confront that fear. Esther, Esther said, it is unlawful for me to present myself to the king without an invitation. But who knows if God has called me to the kingdom for such a time as this. And on the other side of the fear she confronted, she became a protector and a deliverer of six million Jews who were about to be annihilated. What's on the other side of your fear? It's the future you've been waiting for. And as I close, this is what I want you to put on the screen. What's the closing statement? Radical, courageous faith is the bridge between your deepest fears and your wildest dreams. You can't go around it. You must go through it in order to get to it. So the radically better, and everybody show your love for Harry. Harry, Harry, Harry. Harry, thank you, man. Give me some dap. You're a great Goliath. Give me some dap. And everybody show your love for Jesus, man. Jesus in the house. And my man, Levi Legend. All right, good job. All right, you'll take him back to Children's Church for me. Thank you so much. You want to stay?
Okay, stay with me. Go sit on the front row. <laughs> All right, stay here with me. Uh, T.F. Hodge said it this way. You'll never cross an emotional bridge if you keep rushing back to the other side. The emotional bridge of fear is the one thing that's standing in the way of the future that God has promised each of us. So I want to pray for you as we're dismissed this morning. As we're dismissed this morning. Because next week we're going to talk about the future. But we can't get there until we confront our deepest fear. And what you're, the fear that you might be grappling with is different than the fear that I might be grappling with. But in order for Goliath to fall, we have to be willing to come face to face with our giant. Let's pray. So, Father, I thank you <laughs> for the glorious future that you have scripted and planned for each of us. Ah, Father, for some, the greatest fear is their income. If I let go of this job to do what you're calling me to do, how will I provide for my family? I've been there. I quit a job to start City Church, and I had no idea where the first penny would come from. But the future that I imagined was on the other side of my greatest fear. I don't know what it is for you, but today God is inviting you. The door is wide open and he's calling you to the other side. He's saying, come, come to the other side. But between you and the future you've imagined is that fear you must confront with bold, courageous faith. That is the bridge that will get you into your wildest dreams. So let me pray this prayer over you. Father, I thank you that you have not given us a spirit of fear. But God, you have given us a spirit of power, of love.